We're continuing our Lenten sermon series this morning, and we're looking at two passages from the lectionary. The first one comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, reading the the parable of the prodigal son. I'll begin with uh, verse 1, but then skip over to verse 11, and that's found on page 850 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. But before I read that, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, the first lesson from the Gospel of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked him what was going on, and he replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed any of your commands. You have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And then the second lesson from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. 
Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is to the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you know last week Julianne and I got to take a, a little trip up to, to New York City. It was a great opportunity. Julianne was actually speaking out at a school on Long Island and I got to travel and tag along. I'd love to tell you we got a lot of rest on that trip, but that's just not what you do when you go to New York. There are countless things that you have to see. Uh, One of our new good friends, Danny, was so nice to help us get around the city in lots of different places and lots of different ways. And I want to tell you, we made a list of everything we wanted to see, and we saw everything on our list. From one end to the other, back and forth, we went to museums, we went to Central Park, we went all the way out to Coney Island to get a hot dog. I mean, we saw everything. I didn't really realize how much we had seen until on Friday afternoon we went up to the top of of One World Trade Center. You all might know that's now the the tallest building in the United States of America. We got to the top of it and I could see out all over the city. Some of you may not know this, but I won't call it a fear, but I have a, a little hesitation around heights. This pulpit is about as tall as I I need to be. And so when we got into the building, I didn't want to go too close to the windows. I let Julianne and Danny go and look out the windows. I stayed closer to the interior of the building. For some reason, I felt safer there. And while I was walking around, one of the, the people who worked at the building kind of said, is there anything I can point out to you out in the city? And I tried to tell him where we had been. I said, well, we're staying kind of near Times Square. And so he pointed out and he said, well, that's right there. And we're, we're going to a show tomorrow night. And he said, well, that's probably right over there. And we got to see the St. Patrick's Day Parade near St. Patrick's Cathedral. And he said, well, that's probably right around in there. And I said, we're supposed to go and, and get a hot dog at Coney Island. And he said, well, that's way over there. He pointed each and every landmark out to us. And I thought, man, I've seen a lot. But as we were sitting there talking, completely unsolicited, without me asking at all, he started to share with me some of his landmarks. He said, well, you didn't know this, but I live over in Brooklyn. That's right over there, and you can't really see my house, but it's right in that neighborhood there, right near the waterfront. And then he said, you can kind of see there, right, that little steeple that's in that neighborhood. Well, that's the church that I go to, and my father's buried in that cemetery near that church. And you can't really see it from here, but right in that clump of buildings right there, that's where the hospital is where I was born. It was interesting to see the difference between my landmarks and his landmarks. That's the difference between the point of view of a tourist and a resident. We have different landmarks. We have different things that we see and we value when we look at the city. We look at the city from two different points of view. 
When I travel, I like to try to think about those different points of view because point of view matters. The way we look at the world, the way we look at, at each other, the way we look at our life around us, the point of view that we start each day with, well, it matters. It changes us. For instance, if you wake up every morning and you start out with the point of view that you're afraid of what's going to happen that day, then you start out your day afraid. Whereas if you wake up every morning and you're excited about the challenges that might come your way, well, it it changes things. It changes the way you look at your day. If you look at someone who is different than you, who challenges you, if you look at them, you can look at them with judgment or you can look at them with curiosity and it changes the way you treat other people. Maybe the same thing can be said about the way the perspective and the point of view we have of God. If we think of God as someone who wants to punish us, who wants to hurt us, who wants to punish us for the mistakes that we make, that's totally different than thinking of a God whose steadfast love endures forever. Point of view matters matters for all of us. It matters because it changes the things we value in the world. It changes where our landmarks are. And Paul tells us in our passage from 2 Corinthians this morning, that passage, that second passage I read, he tells us that point of view matters. He begins by saying, from now on, we will no longer regard the world from a human point of view. Now, the people of Corinth were very much like us. They had lots of different points of views. They had lots of different ideas. They disagreed. They argued. They had different ideas about how to spend their time, how to spend their money. They had different ideas and points of view about which laws from the Jewish tradition were important and which ones were, could be disregarded. They had different ideas about how the world worked. They all had different points of view But Paul takes all of those points of view and combines them together and says these are all human points of view. This is all a human perspective. And all of these human perspectives, what he meant by that is they're all limited. You have limited ideas, a limited view of the world, a limited ideas of what the landmarks are, the important places, the important people, the important things. And from now on, we're not going to look at the world from a human point of view. We're going to look at the world from God's point of view. As if each and every one of us were new creations of God. Because Paul believes that if we can look at the world from God's point of view, then that will change things. Because it's a very different point of view from the human point of view. Maybe the best example of those two different points of view together in the Bible is in the passage, the first passage I read this morning, the passage of the prodigal son. Many of you know that's probably my favorite parable in the Bible. I preached on it several times. That word prodigal, as, as you've already heard this morning, that word prodigal means extravagant or overwhelming or uh, over the top. And a lot of times we think of it as referring specifically to the son, the youngest son who extravagantly wastes everything his father gives him. You know the story. The, the son goes up to his father and says, you know what, I wish you were dead so I could get my inheritance and go off and live my life the way I want to. And so his father gives in and says, fine, take your inheritance and go. And that younger son goes off to conquer the world, only to be conquered by the world very quickly losing every penny he had, going and and losing everything to, to things that didn't matter, spending all of his money on those superficial things that could not give him happiness, finally realizing 
how far he had fallen. Realizing if he just could go back to his father's house, not to be a son, but to be a slave, he could live a better life than the life he was living now. And so indeed he does go back to his father asking him if he can be a slave. And you know the story, the father kills the fatted calf, welcomes him home like a child back home, and it's that older son that shows us the human perspective. He looks at this younger son of all that he has given up, all that he has spent, and he sees extravagant waste. Look at all that he's wasted. And now we're wasting more on him. We're wasting the fatted calf on him. We're wasting this party on him. Look at this prodigal waste. But then we see the eyes of the father. The father looks at this son in a different way. This father looks at the son who he thought had died, who he thought was gone, who he thought would never come home, and he offers him extravagant grace, extravagant love, extravagant forgiveness, overwhelming, overflowing love and forgiveness that could never be earned. And we are left to decide, is this a parable of prodigal waste? Or is this a parable of prodigal grace? Well, it all depends on your point of view. God calls us to have prodigal grace, to look at the world like Paul says, not from a human perspective, but as if each and every person was a new creation of God, to look at the world the way God looks at the world. I've actually heard people describe, define grace that way, is grace is borrowing the glasses of God. Putting on the glasses of God so that you can see the world the way God sees the world. That you can see God's children the way God sees God's children, not as people who are constantly disappointing God, people who are constantly falling apart, but people who are constantly and everlastingly loved. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference not only to the children who come home, who were lost and are now found, but it makes a difference for us too when we put on those glasses and try to look at the world through the grace of God. That's the thing about grace. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. It, not just, it doesn't only just change the people who receive the grace, but it changes the people who give the grace. It changes us from being like that older son to that joyous father. It changes us, if you will, from being like that tourist to being like a resident who values the right landmarks in the world. This past week I found a little poem, in fact. It was written by a man in Jerusalem, a a man named Yehuda Malachi. I hope I pronounced that right. And it's called Tourists. And it's a poem written inspired by people, tourists who come to Jerusalem. And he was trying to write to explain what his perspective of was of these tourists who came to Jerusalem all the time. And the poem is brilliant. It starts out from the perspective of these tourists who come and, and see Jerusalem and all the wonderful historical and religious sites. They come to places like the Wailing Wall, to, to, to the Holocaust Monument, to all these different incredible places. But once they see all these wonderful things, they go back to their hotel rooms and they count their traveler's checks and they make sure they've got souvenirs for everybody back home and they plan on the places they're going to eat at night. 
But then down at the bottom of the poem, the end of the poem, he writes from the perspective of a man who lives in Jerusalem. A man who lives there amongst all these tourists coming around. He's carrying his baskets of fruit and vegetables that he hopes to sell to make money for his family. And he writes from that perspective. This man who's just carrying his food along, hoping that he can make a living for his family, notices a tour group coming by. And this tour group, the tour leader is is using him as a a guidepost, as a landmark himself. He says, do you see that man with, with baskets there? Look just past his head. Do you see that big arch there? That that was a Roman arch that was built 2,000 years ago. The man with the baskets thinks and says... Redemption will happen when that tour guide points those people in a different direction. When the tour guide points to that arch and says, do you see that arch up there? Well, that arch doesn't matter, but look at the man carrying the baskets right beside it. He's trying to support his family. Go and spend your money there. That's what happens when we put on those different glasses. We see the things in the world that really matter. We're not tourists anymore. We're residents. We're not older sons anymore. We're fathers. We look at the people in the world around us and we treat them with overwhelming grace. And it changes us because we look at the world in a different way. Just this past week, Julianne and I got to ride the subway a little bit. And i got to be honest with you, there were a couple of times where my small town instincts took over. I kind of thought, hmm, are we safe here in this subway? A couple of different times. But it reminded me of another story I heard probably about 10 years ago. You might have heard it too. It was on NPR. It was a a story of a a man, a social worker. His name was Julio Diaz. And he was telling his story on NPR about how he rode home on the subway every single day. But he always get off one stop before his home so he could go up to his favorite pizza place and get some pizza and talk to his friends who worked at that pizza place. One day he was waiting on that platform. He noticed he was the only person on that platform standing there. And and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, someone came up. A young man, 17 years old, came up and put a knife in his back and said, give me your wallet. Julio thought for a minute, but it didn't take too long. He pulled his wallet out and handed it to him. The man started heading off down the platform. But then something almost like out of a Broadway play came over Julio. And he said, wait, stop! It's cold out there. You need to take my jacket too. The man stopped and thought, why are you doing this for me? And Julio said, haven't you learned you're supposed to be kind to people? And they went up to that pizza place and had dinner together and talked about their lives together. And finally, when the bill came, Julio looked at his new friend and said, I can't pay the bill unless you give me my wallet back. The man not only gave his wallet back, but gave him the knife too. Now, it wouldn't always work out like that. You can look at that story and you can say, well, if he gave him his wallet and he gave him his coat too, gosh, that's extravagant waste. Or maybe that part in the Bible where that person asks for your jacket and you give him the shirt off your back too, that's extravagant waste. When somebody comes up to you and says, I need your forgiveness. I've messed up time and time again, and I'm sorry I've hurt you over and over again. You can say, I'm not forgiving you. That's extravagant waste. 
When someone comes up to you who's just gotten out of prison and they said, I need a job, and you can say, I'm not trusting you, that's extravagant waste. Or when someone suffers and dies on a cross, we have to look and decide, is it prodigal waste or prodigal grace? But before you answer that question, put on God's glasses. Because your point of view makes all the difference to the glory of God. Amen.